Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Wednesday night service. And I want to encourage you to not only listen to this message, but participate in it. Take notes and open your Bible so that you can follow along and read along with what we're talking about. The Lord will speak to you through his word and through a clear understanding of it. Excuse me. My intention is to open up the word and that the Holy Spirit might use me to give all of us, including myself, a fuller and better understanding of what his word is saying. And so uh, participate in that. And also participate by going to gracewayokc.org and going to the events tab. You'll see that across the top. And you click on it, there'll be a, a drop-down menu and you can uh, see the newsletter. And you're free to print that off if you want to. Uh, but look through it and look at the events that are coming up and also look at the prayer list and the needs that are coming up. And as you're listening to this, um, Steve Elkins is recovering from surgery to repair a valve in his heart. Be sure and say a word of prayer for him and the other people that are mentioned on the prayer list. Okay, are you ready for the scripture? Uh, give you just a little bit of time to turn to the Psalms and to turn to the same one we've looked at for a couple of weeks now, 46. And today we're going to go to 4 through 7. 4 through 7. Okay? Um, I, when this first verse here, verse 4, is read, I can't help but think of Thelma Hart. And you remember how, uh, you old timers, remember how she used to sing, There is a river. Remember that? And that's how this verse starts. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Now, even though we don't know the exact background and the setting of this psalm, we do know what he's talking about, though, don't we? We know that uh, there are those times when it seems like um, nothing's ever going to change. We look at things as though they are um, absolute and permanent when they may not be. Uh, let me back up here just a second. The nations raged. Is that permanent? It may feel like it. It may last longer than you and I are going to live, but God's going to have a day when Christ returns to rule and reign on the earth, and that's when we're going to see all of the promises about peace and harmony and the curse being reversed and all of that kind of stuff, that's when it's going to happen. But until then, the nations are going to still rage. And it seems like they're never going to stop. The next thing it says in verse 6 is the kingdoms were moved. Um, I've never tried to overthrow a government. Have you? 
but I would uh, probably say that it would be one of the hardest things that you've ever done in your life. The more that I read about the founding of our country, the more impressed I am to think about what those people went through in order to uh, secure our freedom from the King of England. Boy, you read about Valley Forge. I don't know how anybody survived that. You think about the long marches, the lack of footwear that they had. You think about the primitive weapons that they had. <clears throat> you think about the times when they didn't have food, when they were trying to eat the leather off of their shoes. Can you imagine? All of that kind of stuff, and yet they persevered to the point that the little fledgling, brand new baby nation, United States of America, was able to beat the superpower, the world superpower of Great Britain. Boy, that was not easy. It's more than just writing some words and signing a document. We're no longer a part of your country is basically what the Declaration of Independence said. But that didn't happen. The freedom was not secured until men bled and died for that freedom and for that cause. And years later, we were able to actually set up our own government and put the Constitution in force and those types of things. Not an easy thing to do. And my point on that, the psalmist says that the kings, uh, the kingdoms, pardon me, the kingdoms were moved shaken up, put out of the way, done away with. You know, I think it was President Reagan that said that communism was destined to end up in the ash bin of history, as though one of these days they would be just swept up into a dustpan and just cast away. It's kind of the picture that we have here. The kingdoms were moved. Well, that kingdom sure seemed like a long kingdom. I mean, uh, think about the United States. I know it's technically not a kingdom, of course, but think about how long it's lasted. It's a relatively young nation, and yet uh, these 240-odd years, a whole lot longer than I've ever experienced or ever will experience, and it seems like America will be here forever. Don't count on that. It seems like other countries will be there forever. Well, the Word of God teaches that they certainly won't be. This is something that is going to be like a cataclysmic upheaval of the earth. And it says, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. You know, there was a song that was popular when I was in high school and it said, nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. Well, that's just not true, folks. Just not true at all. This earth is not a forever permanent place. In fact, the Bible teaches that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and the elements on this earth, Peter says in his epistle, are going to burn up with fervent fire. And so uh, when we read these verses, could we be talking about um, something that's happening in the future, an apocalyptic uh, type thing? an eschatological type thing. Yeah, we certainly could, and I think it does make references um, uh, to that. But I'm a firm believer that there is an earthly kingdom of God 
I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But I believe it like this. It's the already slash not yet kingdom of God. Now, some of the old timers were very, 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 very hard on this. And they had their categories just really drawn firm. And they said that what is going on in life now has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom is simply a future time when Christ returns to rule and reign on earth. Okay? Well, I believe in that last part of it, but I don't believe the categories are quite as hard. I would never say that the kingdom of God has nothing to do with you or me or anything like that. I would say, however, that there is an element of the kingdom of God because Christ is here living in us through the Holy Spirit. And we are under the submission of God and the Lord Jesus in kind of a nod to the millennials, he does rule and reign in us. I don't think that's the extent of the earthly kingdom. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I think that falls far short of where the Bible goes with this. But nonetheless, there is a nugget, an element of truth in it. Jesus is ruling and reigning as the sovereign one in heaven and also as the sovereign one in us. So I do kind of believe that. And so everywhere we go, I think, is an expression of the kingdom. The word sovereignty actually means to rule or to be the king over, over people. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about the rulership of God, the kingship of God over everything and everyone on earth. So if he's doing that, there is a sense that the kingdom of God is at work now. The kingdom of God is at work now. If he does indeed live in us and he rules and reigns in us because we're dead and count ourselves as dead and we're living sacrifices to him and he rules and reigns in our own personal life, then there is a sense that the kingdom is here. And yet it's not all of the kingdom and it's not fully expressed. There is a day coming when the Lord Jesus is going to come down on a white horse out of heaven and the beast and the false prophet are going to be destroyed and he is going to set up a kingdom here on this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years and Satan will be bound and thrown into a bottomless pit. I think the scripture is very, very clear on those things. And so um, when we look at these verses, do we just simply put them off as just that that's all in the future and there's no relevance now? Or do we maybe look at it like I explained to say the kingdom of God is the already not yet kingdom and verses that speak of the kingdom of God are already slash not yet verses. There are some things we can apply and things we can learn. And that's the position I'm going to take. So God is great. We see that all through these verses. God is great. What do we mean by great? Um, in our day, the word great just kind of means I had a snow cone the other day and man, was it great. Um, my team won the championship. Boy, my team is great. Bunch of great athletes on that team or the Olympics. They won a gold medal. Boy, they are great. In fact, sometimes we call people goat greatest of all time. I've seen people say Barry Sanders was the goat of football, greatest of all time. 
Okay? That's how we use the word great. Uh, for those of you who are my age, Tony the Tiger, Sugar Frosted Flakes, right? They're great. I'm not even going to try to do it like he did. And so the word has been used to describe things and situations like that. But when the Bible was written, the word great, sometimes in the New Testament, it was a Greek word, mega. Um, it describes something of weight. You know, there are some things that, um, okay, let's say that I'm sitting here and President Biden is sitting right beside me. And let's say that I make the pronouncement, all the troops are coming home from Afghanistan. How much weight does that carry? Nothing. Let Joe Biden say it, and all of a sudden, it means something. Why? He's got more weight than I do in terms of being uh, in government here on earth. When we talk about a person being great, we're talking about somebody, sometimes uh, in old literature, they would talk about a man who had great power, and they would say he's a, he's a great and terrible man. Maybe you remember that from reading old books. It would describe somebody as great and terrible. What did that mean? By great, it meant they had power. It meant they had resources. It meant they had influence. It means that when they speak, people listen. Remember those old E.F. Hutton commercials? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, that's the way it is with God. And sometimes we look today at this world and say, well, they just won't listen to God. Um, let me explain that. That's because God is not forcing them to listen. If God were to raise his voice and to speak, they couldn't help but listen. In fact, these verses go on to say, that um, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. The voice of God can bring the universe into existence, Genesis chapter 1. The voice of God can also take it out. You remember on the Cosby show years ago that Bill Cosby used to say to his kids, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Well, God could say that to all of us, and it wouldn't be a joke. It wouldn't be funny. It wouldn't be anything like that at all. He indeed can do that. So let's uh, think of this. If this is the already not yet kingdom, and this is the already not yet re uh, referral to the kingdom, let's think about it. Number one, there is always hope and promise for the people of God. There is always hope and promise for the people of God. Folks, I don't care when you're living. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care what your government is like. I don't care what brand of clothing you wear. I don't care if from a human standpoint, everybody says about you, you're going to be stuck where you are for the rest of your life. Not unless God says so, right? There's always hope. When the psalmist was talking back up in verse 3 about water, what was he talking about? Mountains falling into the ocean and the oceans having great upheaval and foaming and destruction and tsunami and all of that kind of stuff. But yet for the people of God, verse 4 says, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. There is a river. 
We don't live in an ocean. We're not foundering in an ocean. We've got a stream. One of the things about, nice about streams is they're somewhat controllable, aren't they? And they're also approachable. They're also approachable. You can get up right next to the water in most streams. I'm sure there are some exceptions, but follow along with his metaphor. You can drink out of the stream or bathe in the stream or whatever you need to do. So when we think about this, it's meant to imply that out of all of the chaos of the ocean, well, there's a stream here for the people of God. And it's something that's under control. It's not raging and foaming and bubbling and it's not destructive. You can get close to it and you can be refreshed by it. You can water crops and water cattle by this particular stream. There is a river, not there will be a river. There is a river. And it reminds us that even in the deserts of life, we can always find that river because that river is Christ. Whenever we are going through the deepest, darkest trials of our life and we're battling the enemy, and I mean the armor that we're wearing, remember that? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. You think those things were light? They were necessary, and they were very, very, very helpful when you were in hand-to-hand combat. You needed them. Without the armor, you were dead. But can you imagine how heavy they were? Can you imagine how hot they were? Can you imagine how tired you would get, what kind of shape you'd have to be in? But the Bible says here, there's a stream. And it's a stream where you can rest when you're weary in the battle. This is a stream where you can lay down, take a nap if you need to, have a respite from the battle and from the cares of life. And I want to say to those of you who are in those cares of life, we got people in our church fighting cancer. Got people in our church that are fighting, not necessarily with their children, but for their children. And they get on their knees and they weep before God for God to save and to rescue and turn their children around. There are some people that are lonely. Their marriage has fallen apart. They've moved to a place where they don't know anybody. Those kind of things are difficult to handle. Their friends have forsaken them. Maybe they took an unpopular stand on something and their friends abandoned them. They're lonely. And they get on their knees and they weep before God. Oh, help me, Lord. And let me feel and understand your presence as I walk through life and to be willing to stand alone. I'm talking to some people who are like that. We think about all of the trials that we go through. And the word I'd like to share with you tonight is, I don't care where you are, there's a stream. There's a stream. Drink from it. Rest by it. There's always hope and promise for a child of God. Always hope and promise for you if you are a child of God. Look for the stream. Number two, there is stability for those who worship. Now look what it says. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not 
be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Just at the break of dawn makes me think of Psalm 30. It says in Psalm 30 that, um, and David was writing this, and he says, and I'll paraphrase it, that, man, when everything was going great, I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't be moved. I'll always stand. My kingdom will last forever. And uh, my walk with God will never falter. Right? Remember that? And then he said, then you hid your face. All it takes to humble us is for God to hide his face. My father-in-law used to tell the story about when he was, I think in junior high, and uh, he was a arrogant, cocky quarterback on his team. And uh, he was so fast and so good that he, in his estimation, the team wouldn't stand a chance without him. And uh, he was getting the big head. And so one day, without his knowledge, the coach told the line, don't block for Kathy. And that next time, when the ball was hiked to him, the line just let the defense through. And I mean, he ended up on his backside. And that happened, I don't know how many times, but more than once. Because the coach wanted him to get the message, you're not all that you think you are, and you're part of a team, you're not going to make it without the rest of the team. And um, I think sometimes we get a little arrogant, and we get a little uh, stuck on ourselves, and we tend to think that the Lord, he sure is lucky to have us. Oh, we would never, ever, ever say that. But that's the way we act sometimes. That's our idea. And sometimes we think that um, we can rest from the battle. We can rest from the calling of God. We can rest from the assignments God has given us. No, no you can't unless he gives you that opportunity. Otherwise, you're to press on. And you're to carry on and you're to run the race with endurance. And I'm afraid a lot of believers aren't doing that. And that's the reason we find our country and our society and even our church in the shape that we're in. You need to repent and you need to get right with God and you need to take back up the armor and you need to get back in the fight and in the battle. And uh, you can take that as a rebuke if you want to because it is. And I hope I wasn't unclear. But when I think about this, and I think about God, he shows up at the break of dawn. He shows up when you need him, if you're dependent upon him. Why is it that he can do that? Because he's always with you. And you notice here that it says, the holy place of the tabernacle. If you remember from our study in Exodus, the word tabernacle at the beginning of the Hebrew language did not refer to a tent or a place of habitation, it was a verb. I'm going to tabernacle with you. It meant I'm going to pitch my tent and stay with you. I'm going to sleep at your house. The Lord says here, the holy place of the tabernacle, when God is with his people, when his people are worshiping him the way they should at the tabernacle, at the holy place. Remember the tabernacle was called the holy place. And the inner part of it was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. That's where they saw the glory cloud come down. 
into the tabernacle. That's where they wouldn't dare go into the Holy of Holies. Even the high priest evidently was kind of afraid of going in there on the Day of Atonement because God was there. And uh, God is in the midst of her, and look at this, she shall not be moved. And that's kind of the point that I wanted to make in point number two, stability. As you worship God, you become more stable. Now, if you're attending church every week and then your life is hit the panic button, fly all over the place, and everything's a disaster and all of that, then I'm going to say this. You may have attended church, but you surely didn't worship. Worship brings stability. You look around and you see people that are terminally ill and you say, how did you handle that? It was because they were worshipers. As they see it, whenever I die, I'm just changing addresses. And so they are calm and stable. They're like Wayne Robinson when he told the church about his cancer and he said, I'm going to go through the treatments and I'm praying that they'll heal me. But if they don't, remember this, it's a win-win situation. And for the child of God, that's true in every part of our life. And how is it that people make it through tragedies, things that happen to them or things that happen to other people? How do they make it? Because God abides in his tabernacle and nothing's going to be moved. What was he saying to them? Stick with me. Walk with me. Worship me. Abide with me. Find your strength in me and continually come to me for forgiveness of sins. Continually come to me to confess my greatness. But the title of this particular sermon is also God not only is great, but he's good. This is a good God who will take us and stabilize us when all the rest of the earth is being shaken up. Everything else is changing. Nothing else makes sense. It's all in upheaval. It contradicts itself. It's, it's nothing but confusion. And God says, stick with me. I'll see you through it. And it's only in God that we find that things make sense. And it's only in God that we find the ability to stand and to keep standing and to stand all the way through. Well, number three... There is power in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is more than something to be acknowledged. God is sovereign. We all know that. Well, God is sovereign. Where's the power in that? Well, God couldn't control the things he controls, which is everything, without the power to do so. Now, you and I need to think about that because it means that if God is leading us down a path of desert, are stormy trials. He knows what he's doing, and he's leading us down that path. And he, as he leads us, has the power to bring us through that. If we're going through the fire, or if we're going through the flood, then we can rest in the fact that God has a plan or he wouldn't allow it to happen, and that God is with us, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and that God is going to bring us through to the other side because he has the power to do so. And sometimes when it seems like the fire is never going to end, am I in hell? Sometimes the floodwaters never seem like they're going to recede. All of a sudden they do. Have you ever had a problem you didn't know how you were going to get out of it and all of a sudden you did? 
and you didn't do anything, that's the sovereignty of God. Have you ever had a time when you thought the problem would go away and it didn't, and eventually you made it through? Well, God gave you the ability to endure, and he brought you through it. That's the sovereignty of God. And those of us who say we believe in the sovereignty of God ought to rest in the fact that a powerful God who is sovereign has my life and my family and my situation under his control. So I need to learn from it. I need to rest in him. Hard to do, but I need to rest in him and surrender to it. It says the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. Who do you suppose did that? He uttered his voice and the earth melted. You and I have not even seen the smallest fragment of the extent of the power of God. And sometimes we look around and the world looks around, where is God and where is the promise of his coming and how could a loving God allow all this to happen? Better watch out. You might overload yourself with your mouth because if God ever does speak, oh, oh my, you can't even begin to fathom what it's going to be like. So if you claim to believe in the sovereignty of God, act like it. Rest in it and trust in his power. And then we get to this fourth thing. The Lord fights for and shelters his people. You know, when you read about the Lord being a mighty warrior, what's he fighting for? He's got victory in and of himself. It's not for him. He fights for us. The weak, the weary, the wounded. Ugh. If only that were the only three, the rebellious, the stubborn, the prideful who think we know more about the battle and its victory than God does. And we try to win it in our own strength. If you look down at verse seven, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. What does Lord of hosts mean? The Lord of armies, the military commander in chief. He's with us, not with them. He's fighting for us. And notice the second half of that verse. The Lord, uh, pardon me, the God of Jacob is our refuge. There are some times when I just get to where I can't take it anymore. And you do too. And there are some times when the Lord says, come aside and rest because we need that. And there are other times when we just abandon the fight and abandon the battle. And I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't leave us or forsake us and he doesn't abandon us, even when we're AWOL, absent without leave, even when we're treasonous. He finds us, he brings us back, and he gives us rest. He gives us shelter. Can you imagine as we run off and say, I can't do this anymore, and we take off all of our armor and run straight ahead into the fire of the enemy? Why haven't you been killed? Why haven't you been taken out by the devil? Because God is your refuge, and he sought you when you weren't seeking him, even as a believer. And he came and rescued you even when you didn't want to be rescued, and he brought you back to a safe place. And in the meantime... God is fighting for you. God cares more about you than you care about you. God cares more about your family than you care about your family. God cares more about your business than you care about your business. God cares more about your marriage than you do. God cares more about your relationships than you do. See what I mean? And he's the one that is fighting for us. 
And there are those times when we're completely unaware of it. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at how many times the Lord fought for us. But I also think there are those times when the Lord in the midst of the battle and we say, oh, Lord, I can't believe this is going on. We're awakened to the noise of battle and what's happening. And he says, put your armor on and come join me. And we come and we fight with the Lord against his enemies that would destroy us. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him or topple him. And what is that word? Jesus. That's where it is. That's where it is. And if you're in him and you've trusted him and he's in you, you've got every resource you need for the victorious Christian life. Put it to work. Use it. Get back in the fight. And understand as you do, the fight's not won because you're in it. It's won in spite of that, isn't it? It's because God's in the fight and you're fighting with him and he is fighting through you. His mighty power. God is great. God is good. Hallelujah. Amen for that. Thank you for taking time to listen in to our midweek service. We will see you on Sunday, Lord willing.